Uh, let's go to Samuel. Uh, told you we'd be talking about kings. We've been talking about King Saul. And uh, in the midst of King Saul's uh, reign as king, there's another young boy that rises up that God's preparing for to take Saul's place even before Saul messes up. And so, reckon who that guy would be? Jonathan. Who? Jonathan. David. Right? David! Listen to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. <laughs> who would succeed Saul would be David. <laughs> Chapter 17, 1 Samuel. Little David and some big old galoot named Goliath. I know you know the story, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the story. But what I want you to see is the things God does before any of us even know what's happening. Before Saul messed up, God's going to begin to prepare David to be the king that will succeed him. Before David ever knew that he would be king was a young boy, God's growing his faith there in this situation because he's been working with him. Verse 1, he said, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered in Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Ashka, something like that. Anyway, between a couple of hills, and they had a valley in between them. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elam. And they, and what, what it is, folks, I want you to get a picture of these old westerns. And you got these hills up there. You know how the Indians get over one hill and the cowboys on another? The valley between them, and there'd be a valley behind them. So they would camp behind these two ridges. And then the armies would gather in the mornings up there. And it's just like a bunch of men that's talking a lot about fighting and doing very little about it. <laughs> they would gather on these two hills looking across this valley and they would talk one another. And they're going to do this for 40 days. So they weren't serious about fighting just yet. They were trying to, to work this out. But there they are out in this place in southern Judah, kind of desolate area south of, uh, of uh, Bethlehem. Pretty rugged territory, but a lot of old valleys and stuff. And, so there they are. King Saul's got his guys on one side, camped in a valley. Philistines on the other side. And they would gather every day up on top of the hill, line up on this hill, and just shout at one another. So there they are. So the Philistines stood on their mountain on one side, while the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And then we get into this champion. Now, folks, the common Jew at this time would have been about five feet tall. Five feet. So just think about that. They're about five feet, five one, five two, not very tall. The Philistines weren't a lot bigger, maybe a little bit bigger than that. And out walks this old monster, six cubits and a span. Well, you may ask, just how tall is six cubits and a span? If you put the math to that, you'll come up with nine point nine foot six inches tall. A cubit was considered eighteen inches from the elbow to the tip of the finger, about eighteen inches. A span is the width of the hand, about six inches. 
somewhere around nine foot six inches tall. So he's a good four and a half foot taller than most anybody else on the battlefield. So if a grown man is five feet two at that time, how big would be a 14, 15 year old kid? Under five foot. That's where David is. Alright, he's nine foot five inches. Verse five, he said he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with uh, scale armor in, it, in which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. How much is a shekel? 0.134 ounces. 5,000 times 0.134 will give you 42 pounds of armor. I don't know about you, that'd be a whole lot of weight for me. But when you're nine foot six, it took a lot of bronze to protect the big eight. He had a big old helmet and all that armor. Then he would have these things on his legs would protect the front side of his legs because that would be a place a swordsman would want to go after because if you get a big look like that on the ground, you've kind of got him. So, Soldiers would always protect their shins with, with a, a type of shield and wrap it around there from their knees down because that way, if, if they got hit, it at least deflect some of the, the, the impact. If you got hit in the thigh or something, of course, they usually had leather skirts on that kind of protect that, but that's kind of a meaty part, so you can kind of take a little bit of a wound there but if you knock the bottom of the legs out from under a guy, he's coming down. And so he was protected. But then he had a, he had a, a javelin there in verse 6. He had, uh, also had uh, bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of that spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, I'm not much on weaving, and uh, but I've seen a few things, and uh, I'm going to say it was a, like a big hole handle, you know, just about inch and quarter around, and had a spearhead on it that weighed 600 uh, shekels of iron. So you do the math to that, and multiply it, and divide, you come up with an end that's about five pounds on the end of a big old stick. <coughs> Takes a pretty good man to handle a spear like that. Be pretty dangerous. He didn't say how big his sword was, but he had one. So we see the we see the enemy. Why is this galoot so big? He can throw back to the giant. Huh? Is he a throwback to the giant? Oh, boy, you're right. He is a descendant. <coughs> of the Old Testament where the angels descended and had children with humans. <coughs> that genealogy is still in there. And I've done some thinking about and some studying. I said, well, God, I thought you got rid of all those guys in the flood and only Noah and his sons were left alive. And as I began to think about that, and that was true, there was no... So undoubtedly, one of Noah's sons carried some of that gene pool or the wife of Noah's sons 
Somewhere along the line, they were carrying that gene pool with me so that it came out and would show up in course. <clears throat> Folks, little villages back then were kind of like Naples and Omaha was with my mom and dad. They married the girl down the road because that's about as far as they could go on the day. <laughs> uh, most of our parents and grandparents married somebody within a, a little circle. And by the time some of us came along, we was able to travel from Naples over to Omaha, or I got mine from Hugh Spring. <laughs> I actually went outside the county. <laughs> yeah, you came out of Cass County to get you one. Yeah, well, She'll have stayed in Cass County, but <laughs> I got her daddy kind of claimed her up. <laughs> but, you know, in those days, that's why they're, they're, the marrying and the gene pool would begin to build up within that group to reestablish those giants, the sons of Anak, is what the Bible calls them. And so because they were marrying and, and having children and, and stuff, and then it goes on and on, you begin to see that gene pool dominate and become bigger, where with the Jews and the others, they remain smaller. And so the Philistines were over on the borderline, and that's where the sons of Anak's villages were. It's pretty well there, right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. So if you were recruiting an army and you had a bunch of five foot two each, you'd probably go look for somebody just a little bigger. That's why he was the champion. So here he is, and he comes out every day for 40 days threatening the Jews. Let's not go to war, just send me your best down here. And whoever wins, wins the battle. Really kind of a smart way to do it. Why should hundreds and hundreds of men die when you can just let one die and the winner gets the victory? Of course, you didn't see any Jews jumping up to go down there because God didn't raise food. And they didn't think they did it. They could do it. And physically, they couldn't. But then God raised up a little old shepherd boy if you jump on down to verse 22, David's father had sent him to the army to take his three older brothers food, check on, see how they were doing, what was going on. So here comes David, come marching in there, and he, he begins to see what's going on. The, the armies are going up on the ridges that morning and beginning to do the shouting and taunting and all that. And so David, having his food and the things they needed, he leaves it there with a, one of his servants to help him. He says, uh, verse 22, says, Then David left uh, his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle, battle line and entered in order to greet his brother. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistines from Gad, uh, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. War then was very close. Uh, when they fought, they were it was hand to hand, and and so you could really stand on the 
watch it as they fought in front of him. The Civil War was out of the way. People would gather around and watch the Civil War. Uh, a lot of these old battles uh, were, were watched by crowds. The, the, when the British and the Americans were fighting for independence, a lot of people would leave, go out of town, sit up on a hill and watch them fight and kill each other. Uh, same here. David's up there with all these guys standing there, and he's talking with his brothers, and he's, then he hears his big galoot down there running his old mouth. Now, we know young boys are not always very smart. And they're pretty invisible, they think. But David wasn't acting on childhood immortality. David was fixing to act on the faith that God had given him and done with him. Because, see, God does not pour out a bunch of faith at one time. David had been working on his faith and growing in his faith step by step the whole, all the days of his life. And that's why in your life you need to understand when God takes you through a situation and he carries you through that, he's preparing you for something down the road. He's going to test you, push you to that limit, and then ask you to go just a little further than you've ever gone. And when he succeeds and carries you through that, he gets registered right up there. And so the next time you're face to face with that, you think, well, I did this and, and this God took care of this situation. And so he begins to put you out there a little further and a little further. And a lot of times he will put you around somebody that's been through it. When you're growing in your faith, an older man or older woman can tell you, I've been there and I've seen that, and let me tell you what God's done. It's to help grow that faith. And that's what God was doing with David in preparation. But anyway, the next several verses, all it talks about is uh, people heard this young boy talking about this and that he would go down there and some guy said, hey, he runs the king's office. He said, we got a boy over here. He said, he'll What is he going to get? Well, he go, the king's going to exalt you above everything. Come on, he's going to give you a wife. He's going to make you in charge of the army. He's going to give you all these things if you can defeat him. So Saul sends for David. He shows up and he finds out he's just a young boy. And, and, and uh, Saul didn't want to send him in verse 32. This is what David said to Saul. He said, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David's faith allowed him to be assured of the victory because he trusted God. If you watch and see David right here, you're seeing something about what's in his heart. Remember what? What God said about David? He said he's a man after my own heart. Because even as a young boy, without him fully knowing it, David was already so far ahead of most people in his faith, in his willingness. He, he not only 
knew God could take care of him. He knew God would take care of him. There's a big difference. It's kind of like the guy that came to Jesus and he wants Jesus to heal his sons and his, the disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, uh, do you believe? Well, yes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know you can, but I don't know that you will. Well, how do you move from I know you can to I know you will? How do you move from that place to get over here where I know you will? Step by step, folks. Tribulation after tribulation, trial after trial, walking in. How did you know? Or for some of us, it's a challenge now. How do you know you can get up and walk? How many have been walking for more than 60 years? By trial. By trial and tribulation. Because when you were a little kid and you started to stand up, and you struggled, you stagger and we watch them, we laugh at them, and it's fun. But they, like Kay said, trial and tribulation, they stand up, they fall down. They stand up, they fall down. Next thing you know, they stand up and they start to walk a little bit. They hold it on and stuff. But then, before you know it, that little knot head is running around there and you wish you would fall down. <laughs> they're going to run into anything that's just above it, about right here, from just above the eye line. They're going to run into it. But they move from just barely being able to stand up because they keep going time and time again. And they learn and that's exactly how you move from I know God can to I know God will. You've got to build up that kind of faith by watching him work and realize he doesn't change. If God's not let you down so far, he's not going to let you down. He wants you to grow. He wants you to depend on him more and more and that's why he carries you through these situations. And then he, we've got it all written down here, folks, of all the things he... Not be a situation that God can't take care of. There's not one. What do you mean there's not one? There's not one. He can take care well, of Well, people will tell you every day there's something that God can't take care of. Well, that's because they are not believers. <laughs> yeah, it's because they don't have any faith. And sometimes even we as believers can get that away. Really without even thinking about it. Well, God, I know you can do this, but I'm not for sure if you can take care of that situation. And I've shared with a lot of y'all who were here when we started this thing about how God blessed and worked and did and how he just always provided and we did that for many years. Whatever we needed, Brad's back there agreeing, he knew. Every time we didn't know where the money was going to come from, but it always came. And we paid off this building. We paid off that building out there. We paid off that building out there. We stepped out in faith and God always blessed and honored and took care of. Because we were trying to follow Him. And then it kind of got to a point when things were doing pretty good. It seemed like people said, well, 
I just don't know if God's going to keep on doing this. As long as you hold your faith, he will. Yeah. If God quits, it's because you quit walking with him. Because God's going, as long as you're walking in his will, he's going to take care of you. And there is no situation he can't take care of. I don't care how many crazy politicians we have up there and what they try to do. God can take care of us and sustain us as long as we walk together. And you walk with faith and you're where God wants you. When you're where God wants you, you have nothing to fear. Now, if you're not where God wants you, you better start worrying a little bit because you need to start lining up. Well, David was already there. I know God can and I know God will. Why? Because I was taking care of the sheep and the lion came out. And he grabbed one of my sheep and he ran off with me in my mouth. I chased that sucker down and I killed him. I take care of my sheep and a bear came up. You just like me. My wife come over and tell me something I hear and I get up and do it. That's what I know. And I get up and do it. She getting cold over and she Oh, she's old. <laughs> I say that up here. But, but David was not only doing what God had called him to do, he was learning from what he was doing. And he knew that if God had delivered the lion and the bear, he going to deliver Goliath to him. Why? Because his spirit was identified with God. And God was reassuring him, David, you've got to. See, David didn't know he was going to be king. God, David, he's just a kid. He's going to move from taking care of sheep to being a leader in, in battle. He's going to kill the biggest Galuth there ever was. I don't even want to call him Goliath. He's just a Galuth. Just a big old oversized knothead that thought he couldn't be whooped. And so we know how the story goes. David's already, and of course, Saul said, oh, you've got to have all my armor. Put all this armor on him. And, and David said, I don't need all this. He said, I, I, can't, I can't operate in this. Just let me go with the slingshot. And I know you've always heard the story, why did David take five rocks? Anybody ever heard that? Why did he take five instead of just one? No, we said Goliath had four of the brothers. But we don't know that. But we know David just reached down and took five rocks with him, put them in his shipping bag, and when he got there, here comes Goliath. And Goliath is laughing at him. You know, he's looking down at this little squirt. The Bible says he was ruddy and good looking. I don't know how you can be ruddy. I was just ruddy. You know, I just looked terrible. But the, the Bible, Samuel says, you know, he, he was a good-looking young boy, but he was just a rough. He, folks, he'd been taking care of sheep out there in the wilderness. I know he smelt real good. He didn't have any old spice to put on. So he smelt kind of rough. Probably had some goat skins or something wrapped around him and smelt a little bit like a goat and all them other things. But he stands out there in front of old Goliath and Goliath said, boy, I, I, the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh today. 
No, David said, no, Goliath, they're not going to eat my flesh, they're going to eat yours. I'm going to he go ahead and tell us, Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off. He's talking about bold now. That boy was bold. And he knew, he knew how the battle was going to turn out. And how did it turn out? Just exactly like David said. When he stayed to turn, he took that rock, put it in that little old leather pouch, and he swung that around. He flung that rock out there. He flung that rock and hit him right there. <clears throat> you take a lick right there where it sinks into it, because the Bible says it sunk into that. So he was a flung in pretty hard. <coughs> Down to the ground he went. Didn't kill him. He didn't kill him, knocked him out. How did he die? That little boy went over and stood over the top of him, pulled that old big sword out of his sheath and just whacked his head off. Because David didn't have a sword. He cut his head off. So there was that big old Goliath there with his head cut off. And David reached down picking him. Now I know this was a chore. He had to get rid of that helmet, but I'm trying to think how much does a head weigh on a fellow that's nine foot six? I know it didn't have any brains in it, but it was still heavy because he was not very bright. But he picked it up. The Bible says the Philistine took off running. Because they knew something was going on. Well, all of a sudden, everybody else gets brave and there is a white army. Oh man, they're running, we're chasing. <clears throat> I saw some young boys in Boy Scouts chase a bear one time as long as he was running. And he got enough of it, he stopped, turned around and stood up, and here come the boys. <clears throat> but they chased him and they killed him once. But it really had nothing to do with anything other than the faith of a young boy that King Saul didn't have. Saul was chosen by God because the Israelites wanted a king. So he gave him one. God knew this and knew that in the near future, Saul was going to mess up. He's going to call, he's going to be in battle, he's going to call up a medium. Samuel's dead, he's going, Samuel's going to reappear to him. And that's when God's going to say, Saul, I'm going to rip the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to somebody else. David was already being prepared. You see, in God's ability to know all things, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present, God lets things continue to happen, but at the same time, He's preparing what's about to happen without you even knowing about it. So in other words, everything's moving along because God already knows the future. And He's preparing. And that's why a lot of times in your life, when you don't understand what God's doing, it's because you can't see down the road but God can. And He's preparing you for what's going to happen and what's going to be there. And, uh, and I've told you this time and time again when God told Barbara that I she was going to be married to a preacher. Everybody made fun. I said, yeah, I guess I'm going to die. She's going to leave me and marry somebody else. But he was telling her to get ready because she's going to be married to a preacher. And that was two years before he told me I was going to be a preacher. 
But he was preparing her because that's a pretty rough job. It's rough enough being married to him. <laughs> being married to me as a preacher is even rougher. Just like this week, we were going to go camping. And it all got changed. We were going to, after the funeral, we were going to go to Broken Road for two days. I wasn't going to be here tonight. I told Bud, he talked to me Sunday. I said, I'm not going to be here. We're going to go. But then Monday, Tanya called me and said, a lady is about to have that kid. And I'm going to be there. And so if she's there, it means Caleb and Katie were going to be there. And it means Grandma and Grandpa were going to be taking care of some wonderful grandboys. I just said, when they're not wonderful, I send them back home. So I looked at Barbara and I said, we might well forget everything. We're stuck here. So here we are. And, and you know, it's, I, I'm not saying that complaining, but that's the life of being a preacher and, and as a wife of a preacher, because a lot of times, you get disappointed because your your desires get put on the back burner, don't they? You say no because you know they do, but you were okay with it because you knew what you were married to. She's okay with it. God makes that He does. But there's times in your life that things change. But God's preparing you as you go through this journey. And he's doing things without you even knowing it. And you just need to realize that if you're a child of God, he's going to be doing something in your life. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or 95. He's doing something in your life. And he's going to use you just like he used David. And he's going to prepare you for the day when he really puts something out there in front of you. In the past few years, with all this went on in this church and with me getting burnt out and think I needed to retire and all that, I'm going to tell you what I see God did in this church. He got rid of a lot of people probably needed to be gone because they weren't willing to go where God wanted. And then when he brought me back out of retirement to take back over this group, he actually gave me a group that was hungry to see him working. They were missing out on what had not been going on. I'd been revitalized. And then God brought a lot of y'all into our path to help us. And I'm telling you right now, in the 18 years we've been going as a church, I feel better about this group right here than I've ever felt about anybody I've ever had. And I'm not saying they were bad, but they were never really ready to go where I think God wanted us to go. And he keeps bringing people here, and they keep joining with us and saying, I want to be a part of that. I want, to, I want to see this. I want to experience it. I want to be helping y'all. And I said, well, God, it's been a long journey. But I told you, and 
December and January, I knew God was about to do something. And he's been doing it. We've done all this. We had the money in the bank to do all this. We knew about how much it would spend and how much it would us with us. Jimmy told you the other day, uh, when we got through paying for all this, we still had the same amount in the bank. Oh, yeah, really, actually, a little more. We turned around and hired Caterpillar. We agreed in May we were going to start looking for somebody. I knew he was coming. Nobody else really did. But I knew God was going to bring him in. He didn't know. So we took resumes. I only got two others that even interested in coming here. They didn't meet the qualifications because they already written down the type of person we wanted. I did that before I knew who was going to come. I said, this is what we're looking for. And, and I did it. He met it. He didn't want it when I first talked to him. We God spoke to him about it. I think he shared a little with him Sunday. He, he didn't think he would. He's here because God brought him here. I knew he was going to bring him. We worried about We, we weren't worried. We knew God was going to provide the money. God's providing the money. And God's been blessing some folks throughout this church and, and his, his several folks and he keeps providing the funds we need beyond. I mean, and actually looking at the th three things I wanted to accomplish this year was to do this, pour concrete back here, and do an addition on there. And when I wrote them down, I said, God, I'm pretty sure we can do two of them. That third one, we may have to wait the next spring. Well, the middle of July, we're going to pour our concrete because we've more than got the money to do it right now. So we'll, we'll do that. We're going 34, another 30 foot from one end to the other, so y'all have some parking on that. And today, I began to take my prices and build out what it's going to take to do that addition on there. And I'm already looking into the future that what we're going to be adding on and building and where we're going to go to allow us to accommodate what's in the future. Because I know God's going to take care of us and do it. Because have y'all heard some of the economics about a possible economic hurricane in front of us? A lot more economists begin to talk about that. If it gets that bad, the church will be looked upon as having to meet a lot of needs in the community. And God's blessing us. He's blessing us with the food. We've got a brand new, we got a big stove. It's not brand new anymore. We've been using that for eight months. Commercial stove. We've been cooking. I've got people to help me cook and do various things. I don't know where it's all going, but God's working in his body to make sure that happens. Because the church is looked upon as a when things get real bad, the people are going to come back to the church so they can't have any place else to go. Mm -hmm. And it can be real bad real quick when things keep going. Hey, folks, $6 gas is $5 right now. Most folks can't pay $5 a gallon. I put $86 in that little brown Chevrolet pickup today. My daddy could go to gas stations three times on $86.
Most people can't do much of that very long. And I, I promise you right now, there's a lot of folks burning them credit cards up, building up debt, wondering how they're going to pay. Misty bought some hamburger meat. We was having hamburgers Monday night, and we need a few more patties. She stopped at Spring Market, seven ninety nine a pound for hamburger meat. Brad, I figured up old T Bone because he's no longer with us. <laughs> seven ninety nine a pound. He's worth about forty five hundred dollars today. I wish I could get some of it. And I thought that was hamburger. That wasn't a ribeye. That wasn't a, a, a a steak, that was just ground hamburger, $7.99 a pound. What do you say to that? Huh? What do you say to that? Oh, I know. It could very well get way beyond that. And and I know what I know what Brad and everybody else is getting for these calves. And I know what I'm on, I know what a guy in T-Bone by the time he's done. I'll have three dollars and sixty cents a pound in him. So that's four dollars a pound. A packer's is making off of something they didn't do anything but kill it, and that's and they didn't. I mean, in my price, that's killing too, and that's eating in on people's pocketbook. You eat in there far enough, those of us are old enough to remember the late 70s and early 80s, you get pretty hard, you get pretty hard. A lot of folks start being out of work, you bet. By Christmas. You know, last year they worried about you going to buy Christmas and they might not get it to you. This year you'll be worried about buying Christmas, not whether it'll get there or not. There can be a lot of people wondering if they can buy Christmas because they might have to buy food, doctor, drugs, or because they're going to do without. That's when God's going to lift up his church and say, Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to use you, but you're going to have to do what I ask you to do. So you have to have the faith of David. Not that God can, but that God will. Now that's the difference. If you just think God can, that's not faith. you got to know God will. If you're not there yet, you better get there because it's coming. I know everybody, most everybody's got any sense, no God can. But a whole Israel army, David was only no, the only one who had enough faith that no God would. God was going to do it. Because he trusted God and he'd seen him work. That's where we've got to be. God will. Not that he can, but he's going to. Johnny, uh, I think one of the important lessons in the story of David is how the Lord did exactly what you're talking about, getting him ready. And his parents and grandparents, our children, hardship shouldn't be something that we explain away. They need to learn so that they're prepared and that's part of our job. Uh, yes, we want them to, to uh, know that God made 
to fix everything for them. Because uh, we know that David didn't. Uh, he was the least of the brothers in the mind of his family. and uh, But God had plans for him. So it's important for us when, when there's not the food the children want, that they begin to learn to be grateful for what they have. And you don't go immediately to college greens, but, but you teach them, you know, that you can't go buy everything they want, every meal. You know, it's just, it's a, not a godly way of living either. Mm -hmm. My mama always gave me two choices when I sat at the table. You can eat it, or you can get up and leave. Either one, and she would all have to either one. But you have to teach that in some way or another. You know, we joke about those arch ways. But they have to learn this is real life if it's coming quickly, as we're speaking. Because they'll turn around one day and tuna fish is all you've got. And it, they can't cry forever that they hate tuna fish, you know, if that's all you've got. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard it. You know, I heard a guy tell me one time. I don't care if all you farmers go broke. Where do you get your groceries? I get mine from Safeway. <laughs> That's not a good place. Where you, you know where that factory located? Most of us in here that's over 50, we grew up in some interesting times. Lots of beans and cornbread and, and, and everybody, a lot of folks worked, but they usually worked a couple of jobs and most of us grew up working, doing something. And we were poor compared to today's standard, but compared to our parents' standard, we were rich already. Mm -hmm. But today's generation, like a, I bought a couple whole handles today, and Mason's old guy told me, he said, we were laughing about holding people not knowing what they are. He said, and I got a yo-yo back here, too. I said, yeah, I know what one of them is. I've run one of them a few times. He said, just a year or so ago, he said, I had a granddad come in and bought one for his grandson. They were getting him ready for two-a-day practice. He said, when he shows up for two days, he's going to be one of the best kids in shape for his because he's going to run that yo-yo all day long. How many of you don't know what a yo-yo is? It's called a weed sling, and you sling it back and forth like this. What a weed eater. Woo, you swung that thing back and forth, and you, you it, out in the heat. had made a homemade cake, just a plain cake, left it in the pan, iced the top, and had happy birthday written on it, and, uh, and some candles. And I just thought, you know, that's what we all used to get. And now they're trying to do it like it's a wedding occasion. Yeah, there, things could change, but you got to remember this. If you don't remember anything else about tonight, God can 
And you better know that God will. God will if you're his child. And that's the faith that you got to have. That God will take care of you and carry you through it. And that's what sustained David and what gave him the boldness to face the life. Is he knew God would. And, and that's, that's the only way it's going to carry you through whatever's in front of us. It doesn't matter. If we know what the end of the story says, God wins victory and all of us who are faithful get to go be with him. What, what, what's left to worry about? I don't know any Christians that starved to death. A lot of them got killed. But when they're in the wilderness, God fed them. Fed them quail. You know, manna, quail. They got thirsty. He gave them water. They didn't buy it. Melinda, you women would just be so out of shape. God made you wear the same shoes for 40 years. <laughs> now, me and Marcy would be swapping by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd still be the same swap. <laughs> now they buy 40 pairs of shoes a year. <laughs> but God's not changing. He's taking care of us. He will continue to take care of us. You just got to learn to know him, trust him, and see what he's doing, and realize no matter how dry it gets or what goes on, he's still able to take care of you. He's able to take care of his children wherever they're at. And he will. Father, thank you for your, your love. But most of all, I thank you that you're you are the same today. The same as you were yesterday, and you'll be the same tomorrow. That we can trust you. We can know your will, and we can experience that will. And we don't know that whatever we face, because you've proven yourself in the past, that we'll know you will take care of that situation. And we need to be bold like David and be willing to go and face the giants of the world and conquer them and defeat them and to stand up. Because the giants today may not be a man, but it's the demonic oppression of it's eating away our families, destroying our education system, the greed and corruption within our government officials, <coughs> the greed within so many other things where they exploit the troubled times. We've got teenagers growing up with no respect for life. The Father, may your church stand up and be a bold witness in these times so that they can know that you are there and you are the answer to everything that's going on today. And may we be boldly taking on these situations and praying and speaking out against and doing whatever needs to be done to stop these things. And I ask it in your son's name. Amen. God bless.